the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for joining us this week. On the Healthcare Wrap, we talk about the new digital transformation of healthcare that's happening right here, right now, right in front of us. The healthcare experience is finally becoming about consumers and innovation. If you want to be a part of it, then this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you are going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of the movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies to stay ahead of the curve in your marketing, operations, and technology. This is episode number 136. We're now in season four, which is all about digital innovation and career guidance. One resource we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health Content Network, which is an influential thought leadership platform that currently includes 25 podcasts and video series. One of my favorite series on Shift.Health is The Resilience Journey. This series was created for everyone who's struggling with an unexpected job change, a derailed career plan, or unfulfilling work. Join me as I uncover the unexpected moments in the career journeys of admirable leaders by digging into the moments in their careers that we don't often hear about. The first season is free and available on demand, so go subscribe and check that out today. So here's what's going to go down today. We've got the flavor of the week about the benefits that can come when we realize marketing isn't the only use for all the content that we're creating. Then speaking of the resilience journey, the rest of today's program is taken from the first episode of that series. You'll hear my exclusive interview with Joe Polizzi, the founder of Content Marketing Institute, of Content Marketing World, and best-selling author, and just friend of the program. I have followed him for years, and there were still things that he shared in this interview that I've never heard before. So let's get to it. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. What if content marketing is just the beginning? What if the role of content is changing and expanding? Content marketing has been in the spotlight for well over a decade now. It is proven. As Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose have said on more than one occasion, the case has been made. Content marketing is the strategy of consistently delivering value to an audience with no expectation in return. It's seeing the audience as the asset to build, not a transactional throughput to a sale. Well, an immediate sale anyway. The best brands that are the best at content marketing do it so well that it has illuminated other facets of how content can be used. Here's what I mean. What if marketing isn't the only use for content? I want you to open your mind to the concept of content as education 
meaning internal education. Content marketing too often still is handled by a siloed department that isn't sufficiently connected with senior leadership or even with other departments that would enjoy consuming that content if they were aware that it existed. And that's not necessarily wrong. It's just the natural consequence if content marketing's sole focus is external, which again, it has been proven as a highly successful strategy. But where content as education can help is to address a whole host of internal challenges that marketers talk about all the time such as, we're not valued, people don't know what we do, we don't have support from senior leadership, our culture needs transforming. Content marketing tends to be seen as a treadmill, or more relatably as a stream, where you're continually throwing pieces of content into that stream and seeing which ones float and which ones sink. Either way, all the content gets washed downstream in the blink of an eye and is rarely thought of again. Now, suppose that content is collected downstream, repurposed, reshaped, retooled, and used as internal education. What if it's intentionally used to educate your internal teams with just as much effort as there is to generate leads? I don't think there's an issue with the quality of content for the most part. I think there's an issue with getting all the use out of it that we can and solving internal problems along the way. Many content marketing teams that I know are really good at their jobs and they produce great stuff with a high value. So now imagine improving alignment in your organizations and having the awesomeness that your team creates to thank for it. Content marketing is all about audiences. Can't one of them be internal? And that's the flavor of the week. All right. Somehow people, the universe lucked out and the stars aligned. And I'm here talking with Joe Polizzi today, the author, podcaster, marketing speaker, entrepreneur, and one of this guy's a personal heroes just as a career content marketing professional. So I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have Joe on the program today. Uh, Joe, how the heck are you? Uh, you're, too, you're too kind. I'm doing great. I mean, of course, spending a lot of time at home, which is good, uh, adjusting to some things, uh, tough times for a lot of people out there. But you know, it's interesting you can look at it a lot of different ways. I guess I'm hopeful, kind of like my kids are hopeful that 2020 could be a great year. You know, when we look back, that's what I'm hoping, right? I'm hoping we look back on 2020 and we're like, boy, it was horrible at the time, but a lot of change, a lot of good change happened. So that's what we can hope for. That's all we can do at this point. Yeah, we, we, exactly. can, we can only hope. There are 99% of things we just can't control anymore. And uh, we probably never could, but now we know for sure. Now we know um, for sure. Yeah. 2020 taught us all a pretty good lesson here. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, one thing I hope 2020 teaches us about is resilience. And, you know, without giving away too much of the theme of of what we're going to talk about, that's really the focus of it. Because setting this up, I was telling you beforehand, I've heard from a lot of people, I can't imagine how many people have reached out to you, to others. Uh, I'm a scale of one, right? But people have said, hey, I just got furloughed. I just got laid off. I've never thought about this point. I didn't expect that. And what's step one? I'm kind of at a low point right now. What's step one? And so I wanted to kind of bring them, those who have really gone through that for an extended period of time for a large part of their career and have risen so far above it and have gone through that whole process at much more of a, than a scale of one. And so that's why I was delighted to just have you on the program. It's interesting. I think you can look at a lot of what's going on as a fresh start. You can almost give yourself permission to make some changes because they're the best for you and, and best for your family. And a lot of times we don't allow us that. We think, okay, this is the career path and this is what we should do. And this is how marketing organizations behave. But I think a lot of that you just have to throw away and you have to say, okay, I get one life. I get one shot at this thing. So 
what do I want to do? What kind of decisions can I make? How can I not be so reactive? How do I make a decision and stick with it over a long period of time? And, um, you know, we were talking right before about how similar a lot of the things that are going on is specific to marketing, business owners and marketing from what happened during the Great Recession, where you have companies that are battening down the hatches, where you have a lot of fear going on, and that creates huge amounts of opportunity. So think about it this way. When, you know, if you invest in the stock market and the stock market is, is going up, all of a sudden, you know, an investor is like, okay, great, it's going up, whatever. But when the stock market goes down, that's when you get the real investors that see opportunity because there's like, there's value opportunities out there. There's people that are selling out of fear. That's where we're at right now. So if you can, if you can sort of uh, get over your own personal fear and say, wow, look at all this stuff going on around me. There's never been a better opportunity to do X, whatever that X is for you. Start a business, get a new job, start a podcast, do a blog, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And that's why, you know, that's kind of been my message to a lot of the entrepreneurs I've been talking with who say, well, I don't know if I can start my business up again. And I lost my job if they were in corporate marketing or being or furloughed. And then I, I say, okay, well, time to ask the tough and easy question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? Now's the time to jump all over that because there's never going to be a better time than right now. Yeah, you've asked yourself that more than once in your career. It feels like uh, there's a lot of reinvention that has taken place. And if people don't realize the backstory of Content Marketing Institute, and that started from zero. At one point, there was a day when you were employee one, you know, like uh, this thing got started somewhere and it, it was not during an easy economic time either. Like, like, tell, like, let's go back to that, you know, in terms of like those, those very early decisions, you couldn't have been stuck there for too long to say, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, all I see are the negatives. There had to be a point early on where you saw an opportunity and decided to pursue it. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's, you know, we could, t- I could talk about this for an hour and I have, so I'm not going to bore your listeners about this whole thing. But the, the shorter story is I'd always wanted to start a business. I was, so I was in, I was in publishing and marketing. I always wanted to start a business, talked about it with my, my wife all the time. So this is at the, in 2006. And she said, look, are you going to just talk about this? Or are you going to do something about it? Cause I was just talking about it incessantly. And I said, okay, what I'm going to do is so this is, we made some deal at the end of 2006. And I said, by the end of March, 2007, I will have started a business. I will have left my uh, publishing job. And on the last day of March in 2007, that was my last day at the publishing company where I was, uh, was vice, I had a good job. I was vice president at the time. I was pulling down six figures. It was great. But I really felt that I could do more. I wanted to do more. I wanted to be around more for my kids who were four and six at the time. Says, so okay, we're going to start this thing. So on April 2nd, 2007, we started what ultimately became Content Marketing Institute. But if you know the April 2nd date, that is the date that New Century Financial declared bankruptcy. That was the first domino that fell for the, the Great Recession, what we now know as the Great Recession and all the bankruptcies and Lehman Brothers. But the first thing that happened was on the day we actually launched the business. So we were trying to build this audience and do this thing around content marketing, which nobody even knew at the time in 2007, 2008, 2009, arguably, well, at least at that moment, it was the worst financial time that, that I'd ever known and that I'd ever seen. I mean, most of the people that I work with, they were unemployed. They were looking for a job. Nobody was spending money on marketing at the time. And so the business model didn't work all that well. So, so fast forward 
to September 2009, I had no, we were had no money left. We were losing money on the little product that we launched. And, uh, you know, I remember I needed $5,000 from one of our customers and the company, it was an agency and she didn't pay. And I thought there was some kind of mistake because it was the best case study we had. We delivered her a multi-million dollar project. And I said, well, of course, she's going to re-up into our program. We had a, like, it was called, it was like the e-harmony of content marketing. We matched brands and agencies up online to, they wanted to do content marketing projects. And I, her name, I won't say her name. Let's say her name's Sue. So I call up Sue. She's the CEO of the agency. And I say, hey, there must be some problem. Your credit card didn't go through. You know, can I get your order right now? And she said, she said, Joe, I'm, I'm sorry. We're not going to re-up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is like 5,000% ROI you got on this. How could you, you're not going to re-up? She says, oh, yeah, we're going to, we think we can get better ROI somewhere else. I said, really? I said, if you can tell me what that is, because I will sign up for it. I mean, I can't give you better ROI than delivering the project we delivered to you. Long story short, she said no. And I felt completely sorry for myself. I'm like, okay, I spent two and a half years on this thing. I'm a complete failure. I wasted all this time. This is terrible. I remember I went out in the backyard and just completely felt sorry for myself. So after a couple of weeks of that, feeling sorry for myself, I, for whatever reason, I started to look at our blog subscriber feedback. So I'm going through my email and I'm looking at comments and whatever. And I start seeing... You know, Joe, is there any training associated with content marketing that you would recommend? Joe, is there any events around the practice of content marketing that you could recommend? What would you what would you do? Joe, can you can you and your team come in and do some consulting for us around content marketing? And that's when it finally hit me. I'm like, oh my God, I've been trying to sell this little teeny product focused on this product that I fell in love with when the audience that we were building were asking for other things. They wanted something completely different. And then so I started, got, I got excited. I think I was drinking at the time because I had a cocktail napkin. So I took the cocktail napkin. I wish I still had it. But I remember I, I drew down. I said, okay, we're going to redo the whole, we're going to pivot on this business model and we're going to create the leading online destination for the practice of content marketing. We're going to create the, the largest in-person event for content marketing and the leading industry magazine for content marketing. And... So that was September of 2009. So totally readjusted everything. By the way, had no money. Beg borrowing stole from our partners just to figure out how we could do this. May of uh, 2010, contentmarketinginstitute.com was born. In January of 2011, Chief Content Officer Magazine was created. In uh, September of 2011, Content Marketing World was born. I was like, uh, can we get a hundred people to come to Cleveland, Ohio for a content marketing event? And I remember that was the, that was the moment when I went out on stage and I walked out to 660 people sitting there in a hotel room in Cleveland, Ohio. And I said, Oh my God, I, maybe this is going to work. That was the first time. So that was four and a half years from start to figuring this thing out. So long story short, we went through the great, the Great Recession, we had nothing, but what saved us is, I guess, grit or resilience, a blind faith in what we could do. But more than anything, we just listened to our customers. Instead of trying to push product down our customer's throat, all I did was, and thankfully, desperation got me to the point where I'm going to have to start looking at what my customers really want. And that was when they basically said, here's the business model, Joe. Stop doing all that other stuff and wasting your time and falling in love with your product that nobody wants. 
do this and, and CMI was born. Hey there, listeners. If you're all about listening to your website visitors to learn more about how to improve your website experience, then G-Site is for you. G-Site is a suite of digital improvement tools that capture the voice of the digital customer. Hi, I'm Rob Klein, co-founder of G-Site and founder and CEO of Klein & Partners, a market research and brand consulting firm dedicated to helping hospitals and health systems find their brand voice. I co-developed this service offering with the team at Greystone.net several years ago. G-Site helps you prioritize and focus your website improvement and enhancement efforts. It's a suite of solutions, including a pop-up website experience survey tool, a user-friendly dashboard and reporting tool, a user behavior tracking tool, expert consulting services, and more. What if I told you that 8% of your visitors have a new negative opinion of your brand after visiting your website? Now multiply that number by the total number of annual visitors. Does that number scare you? If so, go to www.graystone.net forward slash G site to learn more about how we can help and sign up for an introductory overview. Hope to speak with you soon. So it feels like, you know, when we kind of dissect the resilience part of this, I mean, the story has so many different implications, I feel like, because I could take away from that. Yeah, you know, just keep on going and things will work out. But but there, that was constant, constant work and readjustment by listening to your audience. Yep. And that reinvention component of it, I don't know if that's always talked about or thought about from people. It, it's usually like the grit part is like, I'm just going to stick it out, meaning I'm going to stick to my original vision. And the fact is like the world changed around that original vision. And by being able to reinvent some along the way, that's partially, it, it sounds like partially what ended up succeeding. And so, you know, tell me about that, that part. Like how, how did you know when to pivot at all? The good news was, was that we, we did the content marketing approach correctly. You know, on April 2nd of 2007, my first blog post was why content marketing? First of all, nobody used the term content marketing at the time. I thought there was an opportunity in reframing the story around custom publishing and custom media, targeting it to marketers and saying, look, you want to build your own audiences. You need a lot of content to be found on Google and to put in all these social media pipes. Let's rethink this content marketing as a thing. So that really helped us. And basically three times a week for three years, we put a blog out there that was all about answering our audience's questions and how they could you know, become a content marketing. How, what does it take to be a, a successful content marketing professional? And actually put the you know, content marketing manager and chief content officer in those positions and getting them out there like they actually were a thing because at the time they weren't. So it was that consistent delivery of valuable content targeted to a specific audience. And that audience was marketing professionals at larger enterprise companies. And we just focused on that mission and hammered it over and over and over again. And it was the blog and the e-newsletter component. And luckily over that time, you know, we, I think by the time content marketing world was launched, we had like 30,000 opt-in email subscribers, which is now like 250,000 or something like that. But at the time, 30,000 was very, very significant B2B audience and so we did that right. Well, what I did wrong was I focused on launching this product. When I could have shortened the cycle, maybe I would have realized it in 2008 and 2009 that look, first build the audience. That's you know, it's kind of what we teach. And then from once you build that audience, you can monetize that audience in a number of ways. 
and all I was focused on on this one way and focus and, and going that direction. Now I would know better if I'm talking to anybody trying to launch this thing. I'm like, oh, first build the audience. Don't get you might have an idea of what your products and services are, but you won't know until you build that audience. They will tell you. They will vote with their dollars which ones they think is are going to work. And that's where I made the mistake. And almost the traditional model of product first. And I thought of the product as the thing instead of the audience as the thing. But would have thought of the audience as the thing, it would, we wouldn't have had a problem. And that's where so many companies get in trouble because they think, oh, I got this great product. And then, oh, now I'm going to use content and send it all over the place to promote the product. No, no, no. The core is you want a loyal a relationship with these customers, with, the, with this audience. And if you build a relationship with these audience members and they start to rely on you for information, you could sell them lots of different things. And that's what I forgot along the way. I even, because it's strange. I wrote it and get, my first book was Get Content, Get Customers. I talked all about that and then launched the product and totally didn't do it. Totally did it the other way around. So that's where it was strong. And I think that for anybody out there right now, especially if you think there's some time before wallets are going to open again, and we don't know yet at this point, really focus on building that audience. If you focus on building it and be, be the resource that they get up in the morning and they count on what you have to tell them in a podcast form and video form and blog form, whatever it is, deliver that consistently, help that audience get a better job, live a better life, whatever they're doing. And then if you do that, then you'll have so many opportunities to launch, you know, whatever products you want to. Yeah, and and remind us that how many you said uh, six hundred plus that first year. So how many how many attendees were at uh, Content Marketing World this last year? Yeah, I think they had uh, near near four thousand. So that was the. I mean, I remember our goal was a hundred to one hundred and fifty. We had one room at the Renaissance Hotel in Cleveland, and then we ended up getting so many people, and we took over the whole hotel. And I think. Um, by in two years after that, we had like thirteen hundred, and then went to twenty two hundred, and then went to twenty eight hundred. So it was pretty substantial growth, and you know, still, of course, the the largest in person event around content marketing. And and it, you know, I don't know if you want to call it dumb luck or whatever, but that's just what happens when you focus on the needs of of your audience. That's what media companies do. Media companies actually have it right today. The what they have wrong is the financial model. What's great is if you're on the brand side. Do what a media company does from their processes when you're thinking about building a content platform, but don't monetize it through advertising. Monetize it through selling your own products and services. That's the difference. There's no difference in the business model of, well, there's no difference in the, in the content approach or the editorial model. The difference is how you monetize it. And uh, you know where you see a lot of media companies going out of business. They're not going out of business today because their subscribers are not happy with the content. They're going out of business because they never figured out the monetization plan. You know, let's dive into that part a little bit because I feel like when we talk about opportunities today, there are opportunities with branded content, with becoming the media arm for a brand, which is mm-hmm. something uh, you, you have talked about for many years. And, and it's a, a model that, that I have seen opportunity in as well. And that feels like there's some, some decision points that are particular for marketing and communications professionals when they're talking about like, what's that next step? Where do I go from here? You know, now that I've had a chance to kind of step back, you know, what, you know, I, it wasn't my choice, but now I've had a chance to step back and this really might be the time for me to go out and try that thing that I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. 
how does a marketer, communicator, you know, journalism professional who, who's in this situation right now, what do those decision points look like for them? And like, what opportunities are, are there specifically for, for somebody in, in this field compared to other fields right now? Well, the first thing I get real personal with this, the first thing is write down your own personal and career goals and review them on a regular basis. I have to say that because when I talk to a lot of marketers, they're talking about their career and what they think they want to do. But then when I get to what do you really see for your career? What's your wealth goals? What is, what you, you know, and even getting to physical, spiritual goals, those types of things, they don't have them. So I don't care whatever they are, it's fine, but you need to write those down and review them because what are, what are you living for here first? And it's, I think, I don't want to get too sentimental, but if you don't have just basic goals for being on this earth, you've got a bigger issue than what marketing job should I get? So first of all, figure out why you're here in the first place. Okay, now we go on to marketing. We are going through the biggest revolution right now of the marketing organization, and we're seeing the marketing organization transform itself into a publishing operation. This has been happening since the year 2000, maybe late 90s, but 2000 for sure going on. Now we're here into 2020. And if you look at the marketing organization, a lot of what they're doing right now is a publishing operation. It's only going to go more so that direction because organizations have learned that they don't have to advertise. They can build their own audiences. And why advertise if you don't have to? Why rent somebody's attention when you could own somebody's attention because you're delivering amazing information to them on a regular basis? So if I'm a marketing person, I'm understanding that process. Probably the biggest issue that marketers have no understanding of right now and will be a core role of theirs in the next five to 10 years is uh, mergers and acquisitions. If you don't understand that you don't have to build a content platform that you actually could purchase one, that's the first thing. Most CMOs I talk to don't even think that's, is, oh, we can do that? Like instead of, like I could go buy a media company instead of going and spending three years and putting you know, blood, sweat, and tears and creating one? No, yeah, you could actually go out and purchase one. Well, there's a lot that goes into the M&A process. I learned about it because I grew up in publishing, but marketers, if you didn't grow up in publishing, you might not ever know that you can buy a blog, you can buy an influencer program, you can buy an email newsletter list, you can buy these things as assets instead of having to build them yourself or, or rent them. So that's a huge thing. Are you, there's going to be people in the marketing organization that just do that. That they're just looking at, just like you have in your financial organization, responsible for overall M&A, you should have one in your marketing organization as well. And you're buying assets, audience assets, or brand assets associated with a, with a content brand. So that's where I, there's all kinds of opportunity because it's getting shaken up so bad. And you've got people that are saying, okay, I'm not advertising this year because of what's happened. You got all kinds of people pulling back. Well, I know it's bad for you. So if it's bad for you, okay, great. Spend your time and feel bad about it. But then get up tomorrow and say, wow, this has never been a greater opportunity than right now while everybody's battening down the hatches. I can go into that area. Now, whether that's launching your own business or bringing that those skills and expertise to a marketing job. So if I was interviewing and I'm looking for, a let's say, a chief content officer position or a VP of content position... And that person actually has knowledge about the M&A process. I'm looking for that. So th those are things you can learn right now. I mean, it's available all over the, the web. You could learn about this yourself if you wish to. So these things are there for you to take if, if you wish to do so. So I'm just excited that we're finally starting to see this 
transformation. I call it the, it's the, the third stage of content marketing. First stage was after 2001, after 9-11, we saw the explosion of Google. Second stage was after the Great Recession, we saw the real explosion of social media. And now it's exactly what happened with the COVID-19 crisis and everyone shut down and a lot of advertising programs were killed. And now you have this opportunity to, for these brands to build their own audiences on unlimited numbers of platforms if they wish to. And I think you're finally going to see, not that content marketing isn't a valid practice right now. Of course, it has been for me for 20 years, but a lot of advertising people don't see it that way. I think this is where content marketing really starts to get its share of voice. I've been referring to it that way as well. As I've heard you explain it that way, kind of this third phase, this third stage of content marketing, kind of this, this new golden age of it. And the more I've thought about that, I, I really do see some unique opportunities. And when I throw in ideas out to people, sometimes you're like, wait, kind of, kind of the same thing. Wait, we can do that? Like, we, we can do that now? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to dive into the reinvention part a little bit too. You know, just a couple of examples for you recently becoming a fiction author and then you know reviving a podcast that had been uh, beloved by by many people you know having it go on hiatus and then coming back so you know let's start with that and then we'll get to uh, the will to die sure what has that been like you know restarting this old marketing after having done it for a long long time hiatus and now it's back I don't know if the listeners know the rest of my path, but it worked out very well with Content Marketing Institute. My wife and I owned it. We sold it, the Content Marketing Institute, in 2016. I stayed on until 2018. So by January 1st, 2018, I was done. I was like, okay, did my thing, sold the business, incredibly happy, uh, and decided to take a full sabbatical year. And the hardest decision that I made as I was almost considered keeping it going, but I'm like, no, I want to give this full year sabbatical a try. I really want to spend some good quality family time. I think this is a lot of people don't get this opportunity. I want to take it, go all in and decided to stop podcasting with my good friend and colleague, Robert Rose on this old marketing. And so took the year off. And then as we were getting into 2019, you know, I had the itch. I missed, you know, to be honest, not to get too sentimental on the whole thing, but I miss talking to my friend every week. And that's all we did. I mean, that's, that's where we found time. We, we, we had two friends talking for an hour about crazy marketing stuff for a week. And I wanted to have that back. And we, we tried to get together on calls, but you know, life happens or work happens and we just didn't schedule it. And I talked to Robert. I said, well, how about we just do the podcast again? And then that, way, that way we, we at least talk every, every week or every other week. So we started to get again and it's been great. It's funny. There's still a lot of people that don't realize we're back on and we've been back on here for shoot, eight months now, eight or nine months. We've been doing the podcast and, but it's been nice to come back. Same format, covering the news. I actually thought that somebody else would, would do a show like that because it was a regular news show about what's going on in the content marketing practice. And I'm like, okay, well, if we go off the air, Robert, I'm sure somebody else will cover the news. Nobody else did. Like there was still that content gap. So I'm like, okay, do we need to change? No, let's just go back on because nobody's doing it. And people are asking like they want their news briefs about what are the three or four stories that that are of interest in our practice area. So so that's the story of, of get, getting back going again. And uh, it's nice to sort of get part of the platform back. And it's just fun. It literally is... That's why what I, what's great about content marketing too, because you could just choose the things that are fun that also help your audience, and you don't have to do everything. You don't, it doesn't always have to be work related. 
if you find a little bit of passion there, you're probably going to more li- more likely to get up in the morning and be excited about that and put out some amazing information for your customers. That is a piece that has been missing for people, especially in B2B audiences. They just haven't realized that. They're like, no, it's got to be fully professional conversation about everything and we're just not going to dive into anything. And I'm, I've realized it's actually, that. Yes, we've gone the other way. You're right. We've sort of gone the other way. We've sort of gone where... Let's be authentic is overused, but I'll use it for, I can't think of another word, but real, you know, just be real, just be human. And it doesn't have to be the stuffy stuff. It can come from an individual. It doesn't have to come from a corporate email. You can give your team a little bit more liberty to to be themselves and to have a personality. That's when good things can really happen. Yeah, for sure. It's nice to have seen that. And I remember the day, the day that at least a couple of friends uh, realized that this whole marketing came back on and they're texting me like, do you know what's back on? It was funny. Uh, I'm like, well, all right, I'm back. I'm, I'm going to listen to it too. I'm going to check that out. Then the book, how has the book been? So, uh, the, book is, yeah, the, the, the book, The Will to Die, it's a marketing mystery, marketing thriller. It came out in March of 2020, officially. It's been a great experience, probably the most challenging thing career-wise that I've ever done. I mean, I've written five nonfiction marketing books, which no, were not easy to write, but they weren't like this. This, you know, character development and making up some of this stuff has been crazy. Although it's been, it was built on my, a lot of my experiences. Of course, the main character is a marketing agency guy, owns a marketing agency with his friend, and they sort of fall into a, a murder mystery and they have to figure it out. And it revolves around a funeral home. And I, my Family came from the funeral industry, so I know that industry really well. Kind of mashed those two together and and put a story in. And I've just it's something that I always wanted to do. I always honestly I wanted my wife to read one of my books. She's never read any of my marketing books because she said I'm not going to read something that's boring because she doesn't like marketing. So she's like, okay, if you put out something that's not boring, I will read it. So I'm like, okay, what do you? She likes thrillers and mysteries. So I ended up writing a mystery. It was absolutely for her. You know, she, it's for Pam is the, on the first page, turn it over and it says for Pam on it. And luckily it's got some good reviews. It hit some bestseller lists and it's, it's been fun to do something different. I mean, that's when you have, I'm very lucky. I, I don't, uh, I think about it a lot that I have an opportunity. A lot of people don't have that. I could sit for six to nine months and focus on you know, writing a fiction novel. So it's been great. Well, it's not something that you've looked into. You you have absolutely willed your way into that and have reinvented yourself all along the way. And those are all pieces I think that are, there are takeaways about your journey. And as we kind of bring that back to just this thought of career resilience for those who are just wondering kind of what that first step is, I'm going to give you final thoughts, your final say here in uh, how, how do you summarize that? What's your final your final word to people who are who are in this situation. I mean, there's been a lot of amazing mentors and people in my, that helped me through getting to the point where I felt like I was successful career-wise. But the thing that changed me from a behavior standpoint, and I talked a little bit about this, is every morning I would wake up and I've got six categories of goal setting. And you know, one's okay. What's my career goals? my wealth and financial goals, my spiritual goals, my philanthropic goals, my physical goals, my family goals. And I have two or three measurable measurable goals under those. And that's how I start my day. So I read those and then I spend the rest of the day making sure I'm on point. Am I doing the things during the day so that I can start to cross some of these goals off the list or take these goals to the next level? And I don't know a lot of people that do this. It's just, it's just basic. You read any success book, 
and they'll have something about setting goals and reviewing them on a regular basis. But I can tell you that most people do not do this, but the most successful people do. And I've just said, oh, successful people do. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, they do these things. Okay, I'm going to do this on a regular basis. And I, I think those types of things, even when it got really bad in 2009, where I thought, oh, this thing is definitely not working. The fact that I was re- reviewing this on a regular basis, and I knew as part of my goals that I didn't want to go back and work for anybody else. That was one of my goals that I'm like, okay, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You know, act like an entrepreneur. You're not going to go back. And that's one of the things that kept me in the game until we turned it around. So that would be my advice for you, marketing related or personal related is write down those goals. Take a few weeks and really figure out you know, what you want to do instead of being reactive to the things that are around you. Because if you know what you're going to do when things like COVID-19 and, and a recession happen, you'll see it not as something horrible, but as an incredible opportunity. But if you're not prepared for that, you'll be out in the wilderness not knowing what to do. That would be my advice is set yourself up from that process and goal setting standpoint for when bad things happen around you. You're the one that stands up and says, boy, I've never seen more opportunity like this. And that's actually how I look at it right now. There's all kinds of horrible things going on in the world right now. We can talk about that on another podcast. But man, is it, if you're, especially if you're in marketing communications, I've never seen more opportunity in it right now. And people need to know that there is that opportunity there and it's not all despair. So prepare yourself for that opportunity. Joe, thanks a million for the insights today. Uh, Stay safe, stay well, and uh, thanks for giving me a few minutes today. Anytime, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Joe for that interview. And thank you for listening. I hope you found some value in this episode. And if you did, I hope you'll tell me what you liked and what you didn't like so much. You can also subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. That would do so much to help grow the audience for this program. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcast and video series about shifting the way healthcare is experienced. So until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.